Good morning. I'm Pastor Lance. You guys already know that, though. And I come to you uh, as decorated dust, divinely designed. And I'm so grateful that the Lord uh, is showing me himself and how his power and infinite wisdom is greater than anything that I could ever accomplish on my own. Do I need to do something different, Wes? I got a little reverb. Okay. All right. Well, thank you for being here this morning. Pastor John and Pastor Michael, like I said, are out on wedding assignment. And so uh, I will be here holding it down in the word of God. Uh, We will not be in the story of Esther. I'll let Pastor Michael finish that up for us. He's doing a great job. And I love how he's taking Esther where there is no mention of God and Jesus, and he is bringing it to light and life for us that we can trust God, uh, trust God in his providence even when it doesn't look like he's there. Uh, So Pastor Michael, thank you. You've done a a wonderful job of of helping our hearts see the truth even in a difficult situation, and thank you to my wife and my family. Uh, We are expecting October 29th. 28th, yes, 28th, and so uh, my time is, uh, is counting down here, so I don't know uh, when we're going to be due. Hopefully, we're not breaking water here, but, uh, but be, just be praying for us as we uh, get things ready. I think we're already ready. I think it's just a matter of dealing with the lack of sleep again, and um, everyone here has been so gracious, and even my new job has been really gracious, and so just keep us in prayer that we would Allow this time to speak to God's sovereignty and providence in our lives and not focus on the difficulties um, that are at hand and lay ahead. And so, um, if you would please stand, open your Bibles to Luke chapter 7, verses 1 through 10. Luke chapter 7, verses 1 through 10. We'll be looking at Jesus and the centurion's servant. In the centurion, yes, Luke chapter 7, verses 1 through 10. After he had finished all his sayings in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. Now a centurion had a servant who was sick and at the point of death, who was highly valued by him. When the centurion heard about Jesus, he sent him elders of the Jews, asking him to come and heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, they pleaded with him earnestly, saying, He is worthy to have you do this for him, for he loves our nation, and he is the one who built us our synagogue and went with them. When he was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends, saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. Therefore, I did not presume to come to you But say the word and let my servant be healed. For I am too, for I too am a man set under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes. And to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him. And turning to the crowd that followed him, said, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. And when those who had been sent returned to the house, they found the servant well. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, 
I hope that you allow this text to speak to us in this moment, that it is not our position in Christ, it is not our understanding of the law, it is not our cultural right to be in the presence of God. It is by grace alone and through faith alone that the Lord would allow us to be in his presence. And not only that, but to bring about healing and to bring about truth and to bring about salvation, Father. Father, I pray that you would allow this text to speak to the people in this room, speak to the hearts of your people, that we would be changed by it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. When I was growing up, I didn't have a father. And my mom was a single mom, and my grandmother was retired, and so we, we had a fixed income for most of our days. And when it was time to play sports, such as travel ball or, or sign up for bowling leagues or be a part of endeavors that, that, that required some travel, it got kind of costly and it got kind of difficult. And quite frankly, it was quite discouraging that oftentimes I would not be a part of these things because I didn't have the means to do so. As I got older, my friend's parents began to see my desire to be a part of the bowling team, to play baseball, to take trips. And they would say, you know what, Julia, that's my grandmother, don't worry about it. Send him with us. We'll take care of it. And I would go on these bowling trips and I wouldn't know it at the time, but all of my stuff would be covered. I would go and I would bowl and I would just enjoy my time there. And, it was, and, it, and as it was time to go to college, there was a, I, I would call it a, a, an army of church women. If you can imagine on the south side of Chicago, an army of church women coming to my house and making phone calls to me and saying, hey, there's this college fair coming up. I know you don't have a ride. Why don't I give you a ride and let's go together? Hey, your financial aid is due at this certain time. You need to fill out these papers so you can apply for financial aid. Hey, why don't you go meet this person? Hey, why don't you go turn in this application? And I know it seems kind of trite right now, but what I'm saying is there were women in my life whom I weren't in their families. There were people in my life whom I weren't in their families but that didn't stop them from reaching out to me and allowing them to love on me in a way that I didn't even know the difference. I may not have been a haze. I may not have been a buckles. I may not have been a, a car. I may not have been a whatever you may, whatever your last name may be or whatever their last names were. But I was finding myself still with the same privileges and the same joys and the same, same gifts as those who were in the family. It reminded me of what a blessing it was to be grafted into the covenant family of God. Those women were good, yes. They were kind, yes. But it doesn't compare to the providential, sovereign love of God that is intentional in allowing me to be his son, although I'm not a Jew. We can enjoy the benefits of the kingdom, although our ethnic heritage may not be Jewish. 
And here's, here's the beautiful thing about adoption in Christ Jesus. We have the full benefits of the Son in this way. Paul says that we share in death, but we also share in the resurrection. That's good news, church. Because you might think, man, I know I'm a son of God. But think about it this way, and I'm, I'm going to get to the text in a minute. But like, we get to share some of those, some of those things that Jesus did because we're, we're, we're in the family of God now. That we're not God ourselves, but that because Jesus already defeated the resurrection, we're right in line with him. As children of God who proclaim the name of the Lord Jesus. That's good news, church. And so this week, you may have had death on a calendar. And I say it that way because your calendar week may have just been hard and difficult. If it was anything like mine, it was hard. It was very hard. The brokenness of my week somehow, if I'm not careful, was able to cloud out my eternal status in the kingdom of God. I didn't understand it. We don't have to have it all together as adopted children. And furthermore, as we'll see in the text, we don't even have to be ethnically in line to receive everything that God gave us. The Lord just wants your heart. He wants your faith in him. And if you're here this week and your week wasn't perfect and it was a mess, if you will, then that's okay. It's okay. It is okay that you can be humble before a holy and perfect God because you're going to be reminded of your need for him. And if you're here this week and you felt like you were hitting your stride as an employee and you were hitting your stride as a friend or a brother or we got, you know, our, our health was right, our mind was right, and you accomplished everything that you wanted to accomplish, let us not be like Israel and think we got it all together and we don't need to come humbly before the throne of grace each week. Our hope is not in what we accomplish, but it's in the object and the person of Jesus Christ. We don't have all the answers. We're in need, in desperate need, of an encounter with Jesus and to believe in what he can do. Church, I chose this particular gospel in this particular text because, just to kind of give you an overview really quick, if you look at the gospels, there's four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Uh, the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, um, are synoptic in that they're, they're similar in form and layout. Matthew looks at Jesus as the king to come, the, 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 the one who, who restores uh, Israel, but really um, it's a new kingdom that he's ushering in. Mark looks at Jesus as a suffering servant. And Luke, we see Jesus as the perfect man, the son of man. And that, that, that word is tossed around a lot. And, and, I, and, and I was wrestling with this text this morning or in this afternoon. And this week, I was thinking prior to it, I was like, man, how beautiful is it that Jesus could live a life? And I think we overlook this sometimes, where not only is he 100% God, but he's 100% man. And in being 100% man, Luke lays out his interactions with people and just how that unfolds itself. And we can look at Jesus as the perfect man. And 
I'm going to use a baseball reference right now. So in baseball, some of the scouts like to say that this guy's a 5-2 player. He can hit the ball. He can hit home runs. He can run really fast. He can throw the ball, and he can play really good defense. That's a 5-2 player. And I thought of Jesus as the son of man. And I'm like, well, forget the 5-2 player thing, but he's a whole Christian. He's not only got the preaching down, he's not only got the, 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 uh, the child care ministry down, he's not only got the, the outreach ministry down, he's got evangelism down, he's got the truth down, he can not only know the word, but he can preach the word, he can be incarnate, he can rebuke, he can heal. Everything that, that we kind of wrestle over what's important, Jesus in his man, God in man through Jesus lived it out perfectly. He lived it out perfectly. And Luke makes the point in, in, in his gospel that, that through, through Adam, we're all sinners. But through Jesus, because it had to be a man because Adam was a man and, and, and God is true to his word, that through Jesus, he came back and lived the life that Adam couldn't live. The son of man, he was the perfect man. And not only was he a perfect man, but going back to like his attributes and character and nature, when people encountered Jesus in the book of Luke, it was just different. It was just different. I mean, look at, look at, look at Simeon in his old age. I mean, my man is 84 years old and he's waiting, waiting on a baby to die. He, he's like, look, Lord, let me see baby G, Let me see Jesus before I leave this earth. He's got an effect on people. We all know Sister Anna, one of my favorite ladies in, in, in the scriptures. Anna, the prophetess, a woman who's going to the temple every day, worshiping, and she gets to see Jesus. And then there's the dichotomy of Zechariah and Mary, where Zechariah is encountered by an angel. He's like, yo, you're going to have a son. He's like, wait, my wife, Elizabeth, I don't think that's possible. He's muted. And then there's Mary, who's encountered by the angel, and she's like, yep, I believe it. I don't really know how, but, I'm, but, but I believe it. I believe it. And so even in, in the book of Luke, you see, Jesus, you, you see the Lord um, having an effect on people and, and getting woven into their lives, and I love it. And then there's Jesus' childhood, which is our, our verse for our New Breed Youth Group. And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and favor with God and favor with man. And you see his dealings with the synagogue leaders as, as a young boy. And then you see his dealings with his parents. But even in all of that, being God in the flesh, he's like, okay, I'll be obedient. I'm coming back with you. Like he lives out the perfect life. And the big idea this morning, church, is that I believe this text is a beautiful picture of how Jesus can take unlikely suspects and give them an undying passion by means of the Messiah's mercy. I believe that each one of us in this room, while we may not be in line to be like, yes, this is my calling. I'm going to be a pastor. My dad was a pastor. My mom was a missionary and I'm going to do all of this, these great things. That's okay if you are not, because I'm telling you the people that Jesus encounters in this gospel, they were not going to some of the best Christian schools in the country. As I said last week, um, you may not be a PK, preacher's kid, an MK, missionary kid, 
And you may not be on the payroll at Chick-fil-A where all the Christians go to work. But the Lord Jesus has a place for you. Because remember, he is a way maker. So the big idea, I believe that this text can show us how Jesus can take unlikely suspects and give them an undying passion by means of the Messiah's mercy. And it is so beautiful. So my first observation from the text this morning. Social, ethnic, and cultural identity does not make us worthy to be in the presence of God. That should be a relief. Our social, ethnic, and cultural identity does not make us worthy to be in the presence of God. And the passage reads, After he had finished all his sayings in the hearings of the people, he entered Capernaum. Now Capernaum had a servant. Now a centurion had a servant who was sick and at the point of death, who was highly valued by him. When the centurion heard about Jesus, he sent him elders of the Jews. Track with me now. We got a, we got a centurion and we got a servant who are Greek, and we have Jewish people who are not Greek. Asking him to come heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, they pleaded with him earnestly, saying, he is, worthy to ha- he is worthy to have you do this for him, for he loves our nation, and he is the one who built us our synagogue. And Jesus went with them. And when he was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends, saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. He's a Greek. He doesn't think he's worthy to be in the presence of a Jewish rabbi. Therefore, I do not presume to come to you, but say the word and let my servant be healed. For I, too, am a man set under authority with soldiers under me. And he says, I say, go and they go. I say, do and they do. I say, bring this guy over here and and they do it. So people have to listen to him. And when Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him and turned to the crowd and he looked at the kids at Chick-fil-A. I'm sorry. And he looked at the MKs and he looked at the PKs and he said, man, I ain't seen none of that. Sorry if you work at those places. It's really not about those places, but the, the idea is that if we wrap our identity in, in the Christian flag, not that it's a bad thing, but if we wrap our identity in just doing the things of God and, and just being assumed on, on, on God's throne room, then, then we're going to miss it. We're going to miss some stuff. He marveled and said, not in Israel have I seen faith like that. And when those who had been sent returned to the house, they found the servant well. So we got to unpack a few things right here. So when it said, and he had finished all his sayings in the hearing of the people. Now you might look at that and say, all right, well, yeah, Jesus just did a lot of preaching. And yeah, he just, you know, he traveled and he preached and he went from one town to the next. And yeah, and when he finished his hand, when he, when he finished preaching here, he just went here. But it's a bigger deal than that. Because if you go back a chapter, what was he saying? He was giving you the Sermon on the Mount. And that's going to tie into this in a moment, and you'll see. And I'm going to read you the Beatitudes, the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. 
Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven, for so their fathers did to the prophets. And he keeps going, and, and, and I've I got to set up some context here. And then he pronounces some woes. So he's given you a new kingdom that's established in the heart of man and not on stone tablets, right? But woe to you who are rich, for you have received our consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you shall still be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when all the people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. And then he goes on to say, love your enemies. And that's going to be huge with this centurion. Do not, in judging others. And then I, and then I like this part. I'm, I'm going to jump down to, to 646. Why do you call me Lord and not do what I tell you? Why do you call me Lord and not do what I tell you? And he's speaking to a Jewish audience. Not the Greek centurion and not the Greek centurion's Greek slave servant. And that term people there, which let me close that for a moment. So we see that Jesus has already been speaking with the, with the people of God, so to speak, the people that, that kind of should know all about him, that have been reading the law. They should be on board with everything that he's saying. And he's like, look, I'm giving you this new law because you didn't miss the whole point in the first place. Now juxtapose that with this Greek guy walking up. I know you can do it. That word for people is not just disciples. So at this point, when we go back to the text in, 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 in Luke 7, so I'll give you, we'll go back to the text in Luke 7. After he had finished all his sayings, so we know what the sayings are now in the hearing of the people. And remember, that people is Laos, if I'm saying that right. It's everybody. It's not just disciples. So he's been teaching on the Beatitudes, and even if you unpack that word, I'll stop here for a moment. Even if you unpack that word, finish all his sayings, some scholars believe that that is a prophetic word in the Old Testament in Isaiah 61 about how Jesus has come to proclaim the truth to the poor and to the brokenhearted. So he's already on the scene like I'm fulfilling the truth. And those of you who think you should be... Um, here and that you should be on the front row and that you should want me to usher in this new kingdom to kick out this Roman centurion who I'm about to heal his servant, you got another thing coming because not about your cultural and your ethnic identity. It's not about that. And this centurion guy would have been a guy who would have been in charge of about a hundred men in this area. Now, if you know anything about uh, Israel's relationship with Rome, it could have been a little rocky because we, we see centurions at the death of Jesus. We see centurions um, in, in the way of the, I forgot the guy's name that quick <laughs> in, in another gospel. But we see centurions as, as Roman, um, I guess, soldiers or police force type figures, and they are kind of keeping the order. I know they were there. They were possibly there collecting taxes and they wouldn't have been. They'd have been like big brother just kind of like posted up in the neighborhood. Like if we had a government official just kind of posted up in our neighborhood. If we just had a government official just posted up in the neighborhood saying, all right, well, y'all, y'all can do this, y'all can do that, you know. But, and, and their job wasn't necessarily to encourage us, but at some point they're going to uh, 
be responsible for the Jewish Sanhedrin of killing Jesus, in a sense. And so this wasn't a great relationship. They were considered unclean. This centurion guy would have been considered not worthy to be in the presence of the Lord because they weren't church folk. They would have been somebody who was not church folk, considered dirty, worthless, not the people of God, not in covenant. In fact, the Jewish people wanted the Messiah to come back and kick their butt, if I can say that. <laughs> so this is kind of awkward uh, for somebody else reading this in a Jewish context, like, hey, this guy's the bad guy. We need Jesus to get on his white horse and beat his horse, but we're asking this guy to come Bring his servant and we're, we're on his behalf, but let me get into that. So you see the setup here. The Jewish community is bringing someone who historically was not um, someone they would have wanted to kick it with or they would have been friendly with to come and be, have his servant healed by Jesus. Slave is a, the slave is Greek as well, and he's ill to the point of death. And there's something about this, 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 this Greek centurion and slave relationship that I don't want you to miss because it's so beautiful. It's like, it's like that little bitty diamond in a big old room. You're going to see this in a minute. So while Jesus is coming to usher in a new kingdom, and he's speaking to the Jews, he's saying, you know what? It's no longer about your ethnic identity that you may have a place with me, but it is about the law of God written on your heart. We have a man who's in charge of a slave, and he wants Jesus to do for the slave what Isaiah had already prophesied. Heal this man, the brokenhearted, the weak, the lame, the hurting. That is such a beautiful picture of Jesus, of of the Lord using his word to remind us of how I don't care where you are in life. This is me talking to you now. Wherever you are in life, it's not about your standing. It's not about your historical line in your family. We're not Jewish here, so I guess I got to say it that way. It's not about what you were set up to do in this world. It is about what Jesus has done in you and what is calling you to do and your faith in him. Forget the social, the ethnic, the cultural, the seminarian. Yes, I don't want to hate on the seminarian. (laughs) We go to seminary, yes, but that's not our identity, and it doesn't make us more worthy. It doesn't make us more worthy. So personal application, a little more of that. So as we come together as Newbury Church, Just because we serve on different committees and we have uh, different service roles and just because I'm standing here and just because uh, I want my family to go to the best school and I have good desires for them and I want them to do well and we have a family devotional and we do all the things textbook wise that you should be doing as a family and worship and all that. It doesn't mean that I'm any more worthy. It doesn't mean that I'm any more worthy. Than somebody here who's just trying to figure life out on how to take the first left foot in their faith. It does not mean that. Because if the Lord came back right now, he'd be like, well done, my good and faithful servant. Not, all right, we got the pastors over here. We got, we got, we got the drummers over here. We got, we got the worship. No, 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 no
come before the Lord humbled. I didn't see one pastor in the book. In the book of, you tell me, in the book of Revelation, I don't see one pastor being in front of another pastor and saying, all right, well, this pastor had a bigger church than him. No, the nations were around the throne worshiping, holy, holy, holy. We all going to be on our knees. We all going to be on our knees. So my position is not more important than your position if I can put it in this particular context. So our identity that we've established for ourselves, if I can put that in another way, does not make us worthy to be in the presence of God any more than anybody else. In fact, it humbles us. It humbles us to the point that we recognize that we have a need and we recognize that we're unworthy. We recognize that we have a need. Second observation, Jesus responds to those who understand both their need and their unworthiness. When Jesus, I'm going to read this whole text again. I'm going to read this whole text again. I'll read it here. And after he finished all his sayings in the hearing of the people, so we know that he just got through preaching, he entered Capernaum. Now a centurion who had a servant was sick. We know that they're Greek. When the centurion heard about Jesus, he sent him elders of the Jews, asking him to come and heal his servant. I'm going to just stop right there for a second. But these Jews went on the behalf of the centurion. Now, some, some, some writers, if you look at uh, Matthew's account, I believe it's the centurion himself who encounters Jesus. But in this account, and I don't think they conflict. I just think that uh, Luke's language may be a little different here. I don't think they conflict. I don't think they conflict. When the centurion heard about Jesus, he sent him the elders of the Jews, asking him to come and heal his servant. Now, once again, setting up the context of who is this centurion man kicking it with the Jews, he, they're going to tell you why he's worthy in their eyes. And they pleaded with this man. They pleaded with Jesus earnestly. He is worthy to have you do this for him because he loves our nation and he is the one who built our synagogue. So he's kind to the Jewish people. He built the synagogue and he had a slave. Some scholars believe that this slave was a part of building that synagogue. And so that's why he was indebted to the Roman centurion officer. But look at this. To the Jewish folk, the man is worthy of having his servant healed because he loves the nation. That's patriotism. Just saying. And that he was building stuff for him. Like he was helping him out. So I need, so so he's worthy, Jesus, to us because his allegiance is to us and he does cool things for us. Yeah, once again, uh, we're not worthy because we live in the USA. We're worthy because we know Christ and Christ crucified. Man. <laughs> so this man is coming. So, so, so the delegation goes and they're like, hey, he's worthy, Jesus. Come check it out. And Jesus goes. I didn't lost my point. But. Jesus responds to those who understand both their need and their unworthiness. And this Roman officer, as I'm about to get into, knows his need for Jesus and knows his unworthiness. Israel knew what the need was. 
They needed a promised Messiah, right? They, they thought they had it together. They knew that, oh, you know what? We need a Messiah to come in and to wreck shop and to overthrow this government and to usher in our political views on earth. They didn't see themselves depraved necessarily, even in that state of wanting to be on top. That was their depravity, that they missed the whole point of Jesus. They didn't see Jesus as the hero As a carpenter, they wanted him to come in throwing hands. In Luke 4.23, after Jesus reads the scroll in the synagogue and rose it up, he said, Truly, I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. Remember, he's coming over to Capernaum, where we know where some of the disciples were born, where their families were, and where they kind of set up shop for their ministry because when he goes to the temple, they're ready to clock out on him. When he goes to be amongst the elders, the other, some of the other elders and some of the other leaders and does all these things, all these healings and these miracles and these signs and, and wonders, they're like, hold on, wait. No, nah, man, you tripping. You can't do that. You can't do that. He's not accepted in his own hometown. And so now they're in Capernaum. So Jesus is Jesus. So even Jesus doing what the centurion did is like, you know what? Although you're not ethnically Jewish, I'm coming to do what I said I would do. While he was rejected by his own in his own hometown that would reject him, he also knew whom he was there for. He knew whom he was there for. And so once again, the book of Luke, if I could just frame it out real quick, Jesus, the perfect man, the perfect man. He's got the perfect ministry going. He's got the right answer for the guys in the church. He's got the right answer for the guys who think they know him. And he's got the right answer for the guys who are there for him completely. And this is him talking in, in, in 7 verse 22. This is him talking to the disciples of John the Baptist, his cousin, So they're like, hey, are you the one we've been waiting for? Are you the one we've been waiting for? And he says, go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, the poor having the good news preached to them, and blessed is the one who is not offended by me. That was what Jesus was there for. He knew that these people here who were not positionally, socially, politically, or culturally acceptable in the sight of the Jewish people had needs to be met and they would believe him. Not only did they would, because remember when Jesus encounters a lot of people in the gospels who are in this category, some of the first things that come out of their mouth is, oh, God is with us. Oh, come see the man who's told me everything that I've ever done. He's here. They believe it, sight on scene. But when we had all his head knowledge and we thought we had the answer, we didn't believe a word of it. Man. Man. And so Jesus is, is laying out for the disciples of John like, hey, I'm here and I'm doing my thing. And I just did my thing. Did you see that? <laughs> And I would say that it's okay that we have more in common with verse 22 than the rabbis. 
It's okay that you, that, that you can't walk this spiritual walk perfectly. It's okay that sometimes you are deaf to the truth. That you are spiritually just hurting sometimes. That is not a bad place to be in front of Jesus admitting it. That's not a bad place to be. Like, hey, Jesus, my heart is just, it's just weary and tired, and I can't seem to get this walk right. Lord, I need you. Not like, hey, we got it all together. Go work on them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me, because when Jesus speaks the truth in our hearts, it's going to hurt, but it can also heal. So it's okay that we got a lot, that we might have a lot of com- lot in common with verse 22 in Luke 7. I think the world knows what they need as well sometimes. If you ask the world what are the greatest needs of society, they might even point you, and I might do this sometimes in you know, my social work career. Look at Maslow's hierarchy of needs. First of all, you gotta have the um, the physical needs met, and then you got to have the belonging needs met, and then you got to have the, the social needs met, and then you have self-actualization. Is it true in some senses? Okay, if we go with Nancy Piercy, all truth that is truth is God's truth, yes. But that's not the end-all, be-all of what we need, because I don't see the need for a risen Savior anywhere on that triangle chart. And if we just focus on that, we're in trouble. So I would suggest to you that if we, as we think about our needs in this world, as I'm hearing the baby cry, that we don't have the same standard of what our needs are. In the sense that, remember, Romans 12, 1 and 2, Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to have your minds renewed. We need a renewed mindset of what our needs are. Our needs aren't schools where our kids are in a sensitive place to hear the gospel. I'm wrestling with that right now. Our needs aren't freedom from bondage from a big government. Less taxes, more pistols, laws that make us comfortable. We want to have, I mean, think about it. If we got everything we wanted as a, as a Christian church, whatever, we would try to bring heaven on earth, right? Like, it wouldn't look not like the people Jesus encountered. Like, man, like, we, we would just want heaven on earth, for real. I mean, if we really unpacked, if we got yes to everything we wanted in the ballot box, come on. Come on. I mean, we're trying to recreate heaven down here sometime. I wrestle with that. Those aren't our needs. They, I mean, they're our needs, but they're not the needs that Jesus is most concerned with when it comes to issues of the heart in his kingdom. The centurion had needs, and he knew who had the answers and the truth to those needs. The centurion knew he needed the power and authority of Jesus' words over life and death. Because remember, the centurion is like, hey, Jesus, I know that you have this authority. I have authority because when I say something, it just has to happen or else somebody's going to get in trouble or get fired at the very least. But the centurion is coming to Jesus like, hey, I know I have this authority over these hundred guys, but when you say something, it is, whether there's defiance or not, it is when you spoke the sun set in place. When you spoke, the seas and the oceans separated from the sands. When you spoke, I saw this dude rise up from the dead the other day. Like, man, when you spoke, I saw this lady get healed. 
When I speak, people still got to do it, and there's a chain of command. But when you speak, there's authority in just simply the words that come out of your mouth, not in your position. There's just simply authority that comes out of your mouth. And so the centurion knows this. And he's a man of great authority. Remind, remind you, he's a man of great authority. And he knows he's not worthy. He knows he's not worthy. And the beauty is, after all of this, Jesus is like, man, not in Israel have I seen all this faith. Jesus is not impressed with the fact that he's nice to the Jewish people. Jesus is not impressed that the fact that some of the religious leaders have said, dude's cool, you know, buddy, buddy. Oh, you're not really hurting my people. You're not doing my people wrong. You're doing right by him. He's not impressed by that. He's not impressed that he even built the church. I mean, come on, like, like, come on. Like, that's, that's a big deal, right? Like, if, if somebody from the outside comes and donates a bunch of money, that, because we don't have a building right now at all. I mean, we have this place. But, like, if somebody said, all right, look, I'm going to donate this money. Y'all going to build a new breed. That's impressive, right? To Jesus, it wasn't even the thing he pointed out. It wasn't even the thing he pointed out. It's a beautiful picture how unlikely suspects can be the people that God uses to show off his grace and mercy. Because when this centurion comes to Jesus and he lays out his resume before Jesus and he says, I'm not laying out this resume to one-up you. I'm laying out this resume because I know that your resume is much greater than this. I'm going to read this again. The Jewish people come to Jesus and they're like, and when they came to Jesus, they pleaded with him earnestly saying, he is worthy to have you do this for him. For he loves our nation. They build in his resume. And he is the one who built our synagogue. They still build on his resume. Jesus went with them and he was not far from the house. The centurion sent friends saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself. He's realizing who he's, who he's dealing with at this point. Because they don't even, Peter, Peter doesn't even get it till chapters later. Lord, we not, don't even trouble yourself, for I am not worthy for you to come under my roof. Therefore, I did not presume to come to you, but say the word and let my servant be healed. Boom, there is your linchpin right there. But say the word and let my servant be healed. That's some faith that my man is still back at the crib and I'm in front of Jesus with the Jewish folk and they haven't even believed in Jesus. In the, I mean, some, well, these guys probably, but, but, but they haven't even believed in Jesus in this way. And, and this is true because he goes back, he, he's saying like, hey, look, I know you can do it because I got authority too. I say to somebody, go, they go. I say to another, he go, come, come. My servant, he comes. Do this, and he does it. And when Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him. Because he's saying, Jesus, I know you can do this. Because I'm just a man under the Roman, Roman government giving out orders. But you, you <laughs> when you speak, it happens. When you speak, it happens. And Jesus responds to him. Actually, he looks out at the crowd. All the people. I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. 
Not even in Israel have I found such faith. He didn't say, not even in Israel have I seen such dedication to build the temple. He didn't say, not even in Israel have I seen much devotion to the Islam, to, I mean, to, <laughs> to the Israeli state, to the, to the devotion to our people. Like, like, not even in Israel have I seen so much faith. Have I seen so much faith? And so if you're here today and you're wondering like, man, what's that next step in, 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 in discipleship for you or, or just what's going on in the world and, and maybe what's even going on in your homes? Like as a husband, it's not how well you can love your wife to the T. As a wife, it's not how well you can love your husband to the T. As parents, it's not how well you can discipline and disciple and engage your children in a God-honoring way. No, we're not keeping score. We're not keeping score. Remember, we're not keeping score. It is the faith that we have placed in the object, in the person of Jesus Christ to do its work in us because when he can speak it, we believe that it can be manifested both now and for all of eternity. That is the faith that Jesus saw in the centurion that said, not even in all of Israel have I seen faith like this. Not that we forget about what we do in our acts of service and our, our Christian doings and ongoings and where we put our money and time and all that stuff, but faith. And I love this because he's speaking to a Greek man. And remember, Jesus, the Son of Man, came to live the perfect life that we could not live. And so he goes back, and they saw. And when those who had been sent returned to the house, they found the servant well. Jesus wasn't even there. And how about that? If Jesus, if, if healing seems far off, do you believe in a moment's notice that you can see redemption in the situation? Not that you're owed that, but can he do it? Because remember, the, 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 the servant didn't think he was owed that. Israel did. You got to get this together for us right now because he is, this Roman government is not happening. The servant's like, I know you can do it and I know I'm not worthy, but would you please do it? Because I love this guy. I have a relationship with this guy that shouldn't normally be. He's my servant. And Jesus is like, you know what? What you're asking is what I'm trying to do with my own people. They're slaves to sin. And I can't get them to see me as the Messiah, as the one who is and is to come. They're still trying to work, get me to work on you. But you see something. You see, you have faith in me to do what I'm trying to do for my own people. Church, I don't know where you're at today. I don't know what your background is. I don't know if you, like I say, if you're in the line of pastors and missionaries, or if you're maybe even just like me at a certain point thought you were just destined to be this obedient child of God. No, I need Jesus just as much as the next person. And in fact, I hope that if you're here today and life's just hard or you're just struggling with sin or you don't see yourself worthy even to be on this stage. Yes, you are. 
because we're going to need some brothers and sisters over the next few months and the years to come together as the people of God and love on people and build this community of faith. So if you're a centurion out there, come on, let's walk arm in arm. Let's walk arm in arm. Let's go see Jesus together. Because when we see Jesus together, he ain't going to see me no different than he's going to see you. Because our needs are directly tied to the gospel. Because as I read earlier, we were dead on our way to death. Ephesians tells us that we were dead in our trespasses, bound to sin, like that, that we wanted what we wanted, when we wanted it, how we wanted it, and we said, forget you, God. We were enjoying that lifestyle of just, you know what, God is over there, I'm over here. And even if that's not your testimony per se, you still were a sinner in need of grace before you met Jesus. And it is by the grace of God, but God in his loving kindness sent his son Jesus, whom we're talking about, to live this life, the son of man, in the gospels. The perfect life that we could not live, that our big brother Adam could not live. And he did it perfectly without flaw, without blemish, without mistake. And those of us who call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ with our heart, with our faith, not with, so I can do this, so I can do that, so I can do this, not like the Jews who just wanted to overrun the government, but if we call on the Lord with our faith, like that centurion faith, like, I believe you could do this now. I believe you can, you, you can bring death to sin in my life right now. I believe that you can bring healing to a relationship right now, on the spot, sight unseen. I believe that you can return right now. I believe that everything you said is true and will always be true and will happen. That's the faith. That's saving faith that we just submit our hearts to the person and work, the object of our faith in Christ Jesus. And for those of us who do that, we don't have to fear death. We don't have to fear an, an eternal separation from God, that we can rejoice and we can come to Jesus and that he is going to make us new. He's going to put on those white clothes on us and we're going to worship with him for all of eternity. Now, our job is to go tell people about it. What I will give the Jewish delegation here is that they wanted their friend to experience the gospel healing power of Jesus. For the right reasons, I don't know. But I know that they knew that Jesus could do it. And I believe today in my heart, as we close up this sermon, that if you're here and you don't know Jesus and Life's like, well, I got to be my own needs and do my own thing, then take Jesus. You're never going to be more satisfied in any body, in any event, in any lifestyle, in any status in life. Because you're going to have to reckon with it one day. You're never going to be more satisfied in any of that except through Jesus. Except Jesus. Jesus is the satisfaction in all of that. And if you're here today and you are a Christian, which many of us are as I'm looking out, then let's remember it is our faith in the person and work of Jesus Christ 
that he is most pleased with. And because of that faith, that's when we go out and we enjoy doing things for the Lord. That's when we go out and we enjoy gathering together. All of those are expressions of the faith that we already have. And so I present to you, ethnic and cultural identity does not make us worthy to be in the presence of God. And Jesus responds. He will respond to those who understand both their need and their unworthiness as pictured in the centurion, as pictured, as laid out in who Jesus came to preach to as he spoke with John's disciples. Ethnic and cultural identity does not make us worthy to be in the presence of God. And Jesus responds to those who understand both their need and unworthiness for a holy and perfect God. Father, I pray that as this word has gone forth, that it would do its work. That as we know in Romans chapter 16, the doxology that the power of the gospel, that we are strengthened by the gospel, that that gospel, that the gospel, the word of God, the truth can resonate with us and not only resonate with us, but it can do its accomplishing work. I pray that it will accomplish the work of of giving us more faith in your people as, as your people give us more faith in you, in the person and work of Jesus Christ, that we would want to pursue God and not just the stuff that goes along with it. That our faith would be like the centurion. That we would believe, sight unseen, that you can keep your word, and your word will accomplish its purpose. And so, Father, I thank you for this time. I pray that you would just bless our service as we continue to worship, that we would sing songs to the living God in joy and in awe of you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.